trust issues in life. Did it start when you were a kid and you're at grandma's house and, and you walk in the kitchen and there is this plate of fresh baked cookies? I mean, you're looking, you're like, man, they're the best looking chocolate chip cookies you've ever seen in your life. And you go over, you grab one, you take a big bite, and you discover that it wasn't chocolate chips, it was raisins. Yeah. Just remember, everything in life happens for a raisin. (laughs) Advances in technology don't happen for a raisin, they happen for a reason. And we love technology. We really do love technology. Uh, This week I was at the doctor. I was the only person in the waiting room under the age of 75. And I was the only person in the waiting room not using my smartphone. The only one. And I'm pretty sure looking around the room, everybody was scrolling through Facebook or crushing candy. I could tell they were having way too much fun. We, We love technology. We love technology because of what it does to help us. Um... When it comes to a stroke, seconds matter. About three years ago, a a hemorrhage visor was introduced that hospitals are able to use now. And and this visor is able to rapidly detect where there's bleeding in the brain. That type of technology is important with a stroke patient because speed and rapidly finding out information for a diagnosis and treatment are super important. We love technology. Technology. No longer do we have to get up and walk across the room. Oh, man, I forgot all my pictures. No longer do we have to get up and walk across the room to turn the channel to go from the news to Jeopardy. We don't have to do that anymore. I don't even remember the last time any of us had to do that, right? We love technology. No longer do we have to go to the bottom of the stairs and shout, Dinner's ready. We just sent a group text. You don't even have to move from the kitchen, you know? We love technology. We use it all the time in every way. We love technology, and sometimes we don't love technology, right? We don't love technology if we're in a Zoom meeting, and all of a sudden our microphone goes out, or our our mouse quits working, or the video quits working, or the lock on the door quits working, and our toddler comes in to join our virtual meeting on public school virtual teaching. You know, we, we, we have moments where technology isn't something we like because it doesn't work. Or maybe we don't like technology in the moment that we're playing our, our favorite new sports game, Call of Flutie, and it won't work. You know, our, our phone is just too slow. It, it won't do the lagging. Something is causing a problem. We love technology, but we don't always like technology. And why? Because sometimes technology doesn't work, right? It breaks, it messes up, it slows down, it it causes problems. So the picture we have here is that if technology can't be perfectly trusted, because the people who designed technology are not perfect, so technology is not perfect. The people who create it are not perfect. So we can't perfectly trust technology. We can't perfectly trust people. We can't perfectly trust a plate of fresh baked cookies. If we can't trust all of these people, then what is it that we're supposed to trust? How can we find somebody to trust? That's what we're going to try to find out today. We're going to look at Psalm 13, verse 5. King David writes to us these words. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. There's a huge change in the action here. David has been talking for a little bit here. Let me tell you what he says right before he says this. This is Psalm 13, 
uh, 1 through 4. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? God, how long will you hide your face from me? God, how long will I be anxious in my soul? God, how long will I have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long will I sit in the closet all day long, God, just crying, just stressed out? David says, God, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me, answer me, look at me, Lord, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy, my enemy, they're going to stand over me and gloat and say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. David's been having a breakdown, a breakdown of despair, a breakdown of discouragement. We might even say a breakdown of depression. And you can hear it in his words, right? God, how long? God, how long are you going to ignore me? God, how long are are you just going to leave me by myself? God, how long am I going to be angry? How long am I going to be afraid? How long am I going to be anxious? How long am I going to be sad? God, how long are you just not going to do anything? How long is my enemy going to gloat over me? How long is this sickness going to shake me? God, how long are you just going to leave me out here to die? Ever had any questions like that? Ever had a, a moment like this? David's having a seriously hard time in life. But that was nothing new. Nothing new for David. Back in David's day, life was hard. There were no smartphones. There were no TVs. There were no uh, electric or gas hot water heaters. There, there was, in David's time, no stroke visors. There were no life-saving surgeries. These things didn't exist. To live as an average person a thousand years before Jesus was born, it was a hard life. But David wasn't an average person, was he? He was king. So in the midst of all the normal hard things, he had a whole other slew of hard things that came at him. See, David, for most of his life, unlike us, David, for most of his life, was constantly being threatened. Constantly. First it was lions and and bears, then it was giants, then it was rival armies of other nations, then sometimes it was spies, it was his closest friends, even his own son threatening David. Again, unlike us, David's inbox was full of danger and death almost every single day. It was a way of life. And that's true again here in verse 13, in Psalm 13, I mean. David, he's, he's having an extremely hard time, but, but then something happens here in verse 5. He's been saying, how long, Lord, how long? How, how long is this going to last? How long are things not going to change? God, when's my life going to get back to normal? God, how long, how long, how long? And then verse 5, he says, but, 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 I, but I have this. Has that ever happened to you? You ever had that moment where you're stressed out, you're angry, There's something going on and just, and something happens and it almost immediately changes your mood. You know, you're sitting in the the River City Cafe having a burger and and the waiter comes over and you're almost through and and you ask for the check and he says, well, those people that were sitting behind you that just left, they just paid for your meal. That happened to my parents this week. Or you're broken down the side of the road. You've got a tire flat and, and there's a guy that comes out, it's pouring down rain. 
And this guy comes out with a smile on his face and very quickly gets your tire change. And you go to, to give him a tip. And when you give him a tip, the guy says, my life has fallen apart this week. I didn't know if I was going to have money to eat today. Thanks for the tip. That happened to a friend of mine two Sundays ago. Or maybe you step into the grocery store and, and there's a, a child on forearm crutches and they look up at you and they give you a smile bigger than the moon. Something happens in that moment. Or maybe you're working and you're in the office and, and you've been putting in some hours and there's a knock on your door and, and somebody brings you a gigantic tinfoil thing full of bacon. You know, I mean, it happens. It happens. We've all had that moment, right? Where we were overwhelmed, where we were stressed, where we were angry, where we were mad. And an adult or a kid or maybe just an, a circumstance, it's just something happens and it just changes the moment. That's what's happening with David. David has something suddenly come up. There's a spark. So something happens and it changes his entire attitude. And what is it? What changes his attitude? He remembers something. That's it. That's what changed everything. He remembered something. And what did he remember? He remembered that he trusted God. He didn't just trust God on Easter and Christmas. He didn't just trust God at, at your wedding or, or at the birth of his kids. He didn't just trust God on the Sundays that he didn't have to wear a mask. He trusted God, period, no matter what. And David remembered that. He's like, well, wait a minute, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm afraid. I'm just about everything. But oh yeah, I forgot, I trust God. I, I trust God. And why did David trust God? Why did he trust God? Well, he trusted God, he says, because of his loving kindness, because of his steadfast love, because of his deep, deep mercy. That's why he trusted God. The Jesus Storybook Bible describes the love this way. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's good. God's love never stops. It's not possible for God's love to stop. And so in the middle of his discouragement, in the middle of his despair, in the middle of his stress, David suddenly has this moment where he remembers and he says, oh yeah, hey self, God is not leaving you. God is not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. I heard it put this way when a, a child wakes up in the middle of the night and they're terrified, afraid of the dark. You don't have to turn the light on to help them. See, it can be pitch black dark in that room, but as long as mom or dad are in the room, that child will be okay. That child will be fine. They don't have to have answers for all of their fears in the dark that night. They're fine as long as they know mom or dad are there. That's what's happening with David. David just has this moment, and he's like, man, it's dark. Life is pretty chaotic for me right now. But you know what? God's, God's here. I mean, I have all the answers, but I got that one answer. God's not going to leave me, and God's here with me. 
the latest installment of the Indiana Jones movie series, there's a, a scene where one character is standing in front of this intergalactic being that supposedly has all the knowledge of the universe. And her character looks at this intergalactic being and says, I want to know. I want to know. I'm ready. I want to know. And so the intergalactic being honors her request and begins to pour the knowledge of the universe into her. And in just a couple of moments, she's already saying, enough, enough, enough. And it was enough. Consequently, she will not be in the next installment of the Indiana Jones movies, which I think is going to be called Indiana Jones in the Golden Wheelchair. Not sure, but it's something interesting. Someone said the reason we don't have all the answers to all of our questions is not because of the limitations of God. It's because of our limitations. We can't handle it. And God in his kindness, he knows we can't handle it. So in his grace and in his mercy, he just keeps giving us his steadfast love. So when we're in the pit of despair and discouragement and depression, when we're looking around and it's chaotic and we don't have the answers that we want, we're not sure how everything is going to work out, there is never a moment that we cannot trust in the never-stopping, never-ending, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. There's never a moment we don't have that love. Paul Wolf lives in Fairfax, Virginia. Twelve years ago, he wrote a book. This is the title of the book. My God is True, Lessons Learned Along Cancer's Dark Road. Paul battled cancer himself, and his mother-in-law battled cancer. And he dedicated this book to his mother-in-law, and I, I came across a section of what he said about her. It goes like this. On April 20th, 2007, Linda died after a valiant campaign against cancer that lasted over two years. Anyone who knew her knew that Linda was strong in her faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Did God fail Linda? Did it turn out that he did not have a future for her after all? God did not heal Linda, so then did he abandon her? He answers the question. No, no, a thousand times no. God was perfectly faithful to Linda. He kept every last promise he had ever made with her in mind. And then he goes on. After all, what had God promised her? To heal her of cancer? No. But something far better. He had promised to stand by her as a loving heavenly father in the face of her greatest fears and then to use death to bring her to her eternal home. This is what he had promised and that is precisely what he did. Her God was true. All came to pass. And then he says this. As I write and as you read, she is in glory right now, basking in the blessedness of heaven, praising God for his faithfulness. And then he makes this confession that I will make for all of us. Sometimes I struggle to confess that whatever my God ordains is right. We, we struggle with that one. We struggle to say whatever God ordains is right. But this is what Paul writes. But Linda does not struggle with that truth anymore. David knew his God was true. 
<laughs> he wasn't super feeling God in the moment. He wasn't feeling his presence a whole lot in the moment. He was discouraged. He was down. But he knew God was there. He knew God was there. He knew that there was no way for God not to be there. He knew God was not going to leave him, and he knew he could trust him. Listen, when you feel like you can't trust your family, and you feel like you can't trust your friends, you can trust in the never-stopping, never-ending, unbreaking, always-and-forever love of God. When you feel like you can't trust the people that you work with or the people that you go to school with or the people that you do business with, you can always trust in the never-stopping, never-ending, unbreaking, always-and-forever love of God. When you feel like you can't trust your politicians or you can't trust the people at the IRS or you can't trust your pastor, you can always trust in the never-ending, never-stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. When you feel like you can't trust in the economy or the stock market or the price of gasoline, you can trust in the never-ending, never-stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. You can trust in. David knew he could trust in God. Why? Why did he know that? Listen to what he says next. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Sometimes your facial expressions are not going to rejoice, okay? Sometimes your words are not going to rejoice. Sometimes your body language is not going to rejoice. But your heart can always rejoice in the salvation of God. Don't miss what David's doing here. He is not letting his feelings preach to him. He is preaching to his feelings. That's a good practice for us. Get the gospel in your heart. Preach the gospel in your heart. Do not let social media preach to you. Do not let the nightly news preach to you. Do not let your fear or your anger or your frustration or your anxiety or your desire for things to be normal again preach to you because all those things will lie to you. But the gospel never lies. The gospel is always true. So you keep preaching the gospel to your feelings. Don't let your feelings preach to you. David was preaching to his feelings. You know what he was saying? He was saying, look, man, things are messed up. I don't know what's going on. Things are terrible. Things are chaotic. I don't have all the answers. I feel like I'm walking around in the dark. I don't know exactly what's going on. I don't know when things are going to change. I don't know when things are going to get to the way that I want them to get. But one thing I know, David preaches to his feelings, one thing I know is that my Redeemer lives. David makes sure that he tells his soul that over and over again. My Redeemer lives. And in the midst of all of this chaos, one thing I know, I know the last voice. I know the final voice. I know the full and ultimate voice that will speak over all of this chaos. And it won't be a king, and it won't be a queen, and it won't be a president, and it won't be a pastor. It will be the Lord Jesus Almighty. David's telling his feelings, listen to Jesus. Because everything else will tell you to stop listening to Jesus. 
David knew that he could trust in God because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God sent a message to the people through the prophet Isaiah. This was the message. Isaiah 49, verse 16. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. I love what one mom says about this verse. Susan Arjala said this. When I feel isolated as a mom buried under an avalanche of wet wipes. Man, I've been there, right? Some of you know that feeling. This is what she says. I rest in his promise that he has engraved me on the palms of his hands. Dear Christian, you are not just a number to God. You're not just a COVID statistic to God. You're not just someone who has a case or doesn't have a case. You're not a part of the decreasing percentage. Your name is written on the hand of God. That's how steadfast his love is. I I don't know how that works. I mean, I can't take the Christians in the balcony and write their name on my hands. I'm going to run out of room. But but somehow, someway, your name is on the hand of God. That's steadfast love. From the time he was a little boy, David had experienced that love. But you know what happened? All the chaos around him started preaching to him, and he started listening to their sermons. And then suddenly, in verse 5 of Psalm 13, he's like, oh, wait. Wait, I can trust God. I can trust God. He's proven himself over and over and over again. I I can trust the Lord. His steadfast love, it's, it's always been there. David, he looked in his moment of chaos. He looked in his moment of despair. He looked in his moment of discouragement. And he said, you know what? I know that my Redeemer lives. My God is true. My God is true. Randy Alcorn said this, God has written each of us into his story. We are part of something far greater than ourselves. God calls upon us to trust him to weave that story together so that in the end, that will never end. Oh, it's so good. So that in the end, that will never end, we will worship him slack-jawed at the sheer genius of his interwoven plot lines. In the end, that will never end. That's our hope as a believer. In the end, that will never end. Jesus suffered and bled and died and rose again to make a way for you to have an end that will never end. So, Do you have that end? Is is that your story? Have you surrendered to the truth about Jesus? Do you believe, are you convinced that Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you? Even if you struggle with it, do you believe, are you convinced that whatever God ordains is right? Do you believe that God's the same in the dark as he is in the light? David did. Listen again to what he said. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. If you're a Christian, please please don't miss the simplicity of what I'm about to say. 
You may not rejoice in gas prices. You may not rejoice in the economy. You may not rejoice in the government or politics or your health or having to wear a mask at church or having to wear a mask anywhere. You may not rejoice in those things. But there is never a second of your life that you can't rejoice in your salvation. Never a moment in your life that you can't rejoice in your salvation. Never a moment that you can't rejoice in the never-stopping, never-ending, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. Never a moment. You know why? Because David told us, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. One week we had a, had a bouncy house uh, here at the church for the preschool kids to play, play on during the week. Bouncy houses are fun, you know, especially if you're three. You know, bouncy houses are really fun. But I, I walked by, and something was wrong. The, the bouncy house was, was rapidly running out of air, and, and the kids were starting to cry a little bit. And, and we found out what had happened was somebody had accidentally kicked the cord to the air pump. And so there was no air. So we quickly plugged it back in, and it quickly started pumping air back in there, and everybody was happy and bouncy again. Everything was fine. You ever feel like that, though? You ever feel like either the chaos happening in the world or maybe just chaos happening in your own personal life? You ever feel like that it, it kicks the plug out and it begins to deflate joy in your life? Actually, it just begins to deflate everything in your life. You ever feel that way? I came across a super simple sentence this week and it just said this. The cross will never deflate. The cross will never deflate. The cross will never stop working. The cross will never stop saving. The cross will never stop loving. The cross of Jesus is true. The cross of Jesus is full of power, whether the lights are on or the lights are off. The cross of Jesus is full of power if gas prices are high or if gas prices are low. The cross of Jesus is full of power when all is calm and all is bright or when all is chaos and all is dark. The cross of Jesus is still full of power. It never deflates. The salvation of God through the cross of Jesus never deflates, it never forsakes, it never stops, and it never fails. Whatever we're facing in life, the love of God is more. Whatever we're facing in life, the grace of God is more. Whatever we're facing in life, the mercy of God is more. Dear Christian, there's never a second that you can't rejoice in your salvation. You may not rejoice in anything else that's going on in the world, but you can rejoice in your salvation. And you know what happens to your facial expressions and your body language and your words when you start rejoicing in your salvation? I promise you, you will quit complaining about the gas prices more. I promise you, when you start to rejoice in your salvation, you'll look and sound and act different. And guess who that's good for? You. It don't matter if anybody else in the world sees it. It is good for you. It is good for me to rejoice in our salvation. In some ways, I hope things never get back to normal. Because normal would be 
I might forget to rejoice in my salvation. Normal would be when everything's back to my comfortable way of living, I might forget to rejoice in the never-ending, never-stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. And I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop. Because it's good for me. And it's good for you. One more thing from Randy Alcorn. Faith is believing today what one day, in retrospect, we will see to have been true all along. And he says this, let's not wait until five minutes after we die to trust that God always has a point. He says this, let's learn to do it here and now. Eyes locked on our gracious, sovereign, and ever-purposeful Redeemer. I'm game. Let's, let's do it here and now. I mean, really, let's, let's do it here and now. Christian, you got this? I mean, is this part of your life? Can you say this? If you can, straight up, just say it with me. My God is true. My God is true. My God is true. My God is true. Forgive that when you leave. Because that one sentence is a reminder that we can trust.